Okay, so episode three of 2023's Landlord Podcast. We've dumped the AI and AI's <laughs> out of the game. Hopefully, we've still got the eye in the room for intelligence. We've got Dom with us. Dom's a regular guest on our podcast. Uh, is a fantastic, not just mortgage broker, but all-round financial advisor. So we're here to talk about 2023's regulatory changes and interest rate changes and what to look out for if you're investing in property this year. So we looked forward to 2022 with Dom. We might just clip in a couple of his predictions <laughs> uh, right, right changed, about now yeah. Um, yeah. to see how he got along. We, we're going to do the same thing this year and maybe make this an annual tradition of uh, of Dom's crystal ball to see where we're going to be. So, Dom, thanks again for joining us. My pleasure. My pleasure. The only problem with that, I think we also um, jumped off the fence and did some predictions last year, <laughs> so it might be all three of us getting clipped. Well, look, if we're editing it, we can be we can be a little bit kinder, <laughs> can't we? On, uh, on make that sure side, make please. sure you're kind to all parties. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We look after everyone in the show. We'll see what we can do. So, chaps, thanks for joining me back in the room. All the cameras are on us. Dom, twenty twenty three. We've made it into this year. We have. I'm not sure we ever thought we would. Um, we're going to jump straight into a big, big topic that you're quite passionate about and you were just ranting about off camera, which I wish we'd have turned the cameras on earlier. Consumer duty. I was just telling you, to me, that sounds like tax on booze, <laughs> but it's not. Tell us what consumer duty is and how that's going to affect people. I, I will try and summarise it as quickly as I can without going on and on and on. <laughs> um, but it's a, it's a regulatory change that the Financial Conduct Authority brought in specifically for the financial advisors in the market. So we used to have a regime called treating customers fairly, which was basically principles to drive the right behaviours in the advice community. The regulators decided that that kind of worked, but didn't go far enough. So they brought in uh, or they're bringing in from April a new regime called consumer duty, which provides a raft of changes on us as financial advisors and we're still working through some of that detail it might seem crazy given where we are but you know there's a lot to interpret because the they're guidelines they're never rules so you you have to interpret them in, in the way that that you think is is in keeping with the with the guidelines and i think from my perspective the big change that it puts on us and to give you a live example um if you're a mortgage advisor today but you're not advising a client on protection what I mean by that is life assurance, critical illness, income protection, that sort of thing. There's lots of those advisors about the just transactional. They think, well, protection takes a lot of time. We need to know a lot about stuff about it. It's not for me. Under consumer duty, if you're advising a client, then you have to make sure that you're advising them holistically, which means somebody's taking out a mortgage singly or jointly, their financial risk profile is changing and you can't not have the conversation. So you've either got to have the conversation yourself with the client or you've got to have a referral relationship with another advisor. Maybe you bring one in to advise purely on protection or you refer to a partner business that has that mm -hmm. conversation, but you cannot just leave it unsaid. And I think from our perspective, it's not that big a change because we do have the protection conversation, um, but there's lots out there that don't. And I think the risk is that if those out there that don't, get it wrong or they see it as a wrong as an opportunity but execute it in the wrong way the potential for um you know mis-selling is probably quite large i would think i had an example last week of a client calling me who didn't originally buy through me but um 
did arrange some protection because they just had a baby. So it made sense their risk profile had changed by that alone. They were renting at the time. Um, they're buying a shared ownership place and they went through the developer's agent uh, just for speed and to secure the property. Um, that agent, uh, sorry, that broker then turned around to them and said, oh, by the way, before you exchange, it's a legal requirement that you have life cover and critical illness. Wow. Well, it's not a legal requirement. No. Here's a quote for £87 a month. So, of course, they, they rung me straight away. I said, Dom, does this sound right to you? And I said, well, no, it's not right. It's a conversation that should be had, mm. but it should be done collaboratively. I understand your risk appetite, your ideal scenarios, what if, you know, what would you want to happen? Yeah. And then build a solution, not just tell you it's a legal requirement when it isn't. And that that worries me a bit. Yeah, so for, for I guess for property investors or for anyone looking to take some sort of financial product mortgage in this case, something like that is... I guess they have to be really aware of who they're going to collaborate, use for yeah. that service. Because if you're getting the wrong advice, you know, you could end up spending a lot of money over a long period of time on something that is not actually suited for you. Correct. And I guess this again comes down to the difference of are you using a financial advisor by the true name or are you using a mortgage arranger? Yeah. Someone that's just going to say, right, which one do you want? And you go forward with that. So there's a few alarm bells potentially for people listening watching that it's something to be aware of a little bit so good to bring it to the attention it's going to shake out the people that match that match clients with product yeah well you can do that online yeah you know if if that's just the game you want to play but those that truly advise clients take a look at their circumstances have the conversation about how they would feel about certain things happening those will win ultimately because they will be delivering the type of service that the regulator requires. And they'll be de- ultimately, they'll be delivering good customer outcomes where the customer feels engaged yeah. in the conversation, not just sold to or done to, which is yeah. unfortunately still prevalent. Yeah, I mean, from from my outside view, having not read the charter and having worked for certain companies in my past, I see it as a bit of a risk to a to a buyer because it, the way it's said that you now have to have the conversation, I think that's going to enco- actually encourage conditional selling from certain mortgage brokers, certain financial advisors, particularly those that are attached to estate agents. Yeah. And I'm saying this as an estate agent, that I think it will encourage them to conditionally sell, which, as we know, isn't legal. So I think a customer has to be very very much on their toes about what a financial advisor is going to be telling them under the the customer duty um but what i would like to know and regular listeners of the podcast will know i'm no great fan of insurance (laughs) um because insurance companies are there to make money rather than look after you in the first sense Mm -hmm. so i take a step back before i take a step forward on insurance we're obviously talking to landlords exclusively on this podcast and I've had varying advice from different mortgage brokers over the years about what I should be doing and to what level I'm protected with my own home, which has a mortgage, with my buy-to-lets, which have mortgages. It's been suggested to me in the past I should have protection on my buy-to-lets over my own home. What What do you think? Where do you put people? Buy to let's instead of your own home. Mm. No, no. I mean, you've got to look at your family situation, the assets that you have, 
and then understand what's most important to you. So your residential home, i.e. the house that you and your family occupy, if something happens to you or your wife, you need to be secure in that home. The children need to be secure. So overwhelmingly, that needs to be insured as a, as a basic minimum. We, we look at this as, uh, well, I call it the risk pyramid. Mm-hmm. So at the bottom, there's death. It's finite. It has the most impact. It's least likely to happen, but it has the biggest impact. You've then got critical illness in the middle, which is more likely to happen. And then you've got loss of income for a period of time due to accident or illness or whatever. A statistic, that's most likely to happen. If you put all those three things together, you will generally find your cumulative risk factor is over 50% throughout your, your working life, right? So overwhelmingly, the residential home is the, is the key risk for you. If you've got rental void guarantee insurance on the buy-to-lets and you're, you know, you're in, immunized, if you like, if, if a tenant can't pay or whatever, that's fine. If you want to create the ultimate scenario, which is, well, if something happens to me, I just want all of these debts paid off yep. and the whole thing is left as a legacy to my wife and children, that's a good reason to do it. If you're, that's not where your head is or the price point isn't right, then you just say, do you know what, I'm going to insure the residential property, but I'm going to leave the buy-to-lets because even if they're mortgaged and it's too much for my wife, then she can just sell them, make a gain on whatever's left, and, and on we go. So, And this is where it comes down to. You've got the advisor and the client have to have a proper conversation. Yeah. You know, how do you feel about this? Yeah. We, we had this um, we had this when we moved house, actually, because I already had a buy-to-let, and we were moving house, and obviously we were updating our life insurance, and two young kids, um, you know, my wife runs a small, small business, but the kind of thought process was if I wasn't around, how is she going to be able to live in the house we live in now, pay the bills and obviously live a version of a life? Yeah. Probably having to go into full-time work and then obviously having two young kids. So it made sense for us based on our goals to get everything set up that if I wasn't around, the buy-to-let mortgage is cleared, yeah. the residential mortgage is cleared because yeah. the buy-to-let mortgage or the buy-to-let rental becomes a set of income for her Correct. to support you know, the children yeah. and, and live a version of a life. So for us, it made total sense. Had I been on my own, you exactly. know, looking at it, it'd probably be a different conversation. I wouldn't spend the £78 a month that I spend at the moment for the, the two different sets of life insurance. And that's a really critical point because if you're on your own and you buy a residential, unless you really want to pay that mortgage off in the event of your death and leave it to your brother or your sister or your mum and dad or whatever, then arguably you might want to not insure your life. You might want to spend that money on critical illness mm-hmm. because if you are off work for an extended period of time, uh, you need some breathing space to be able to focus on recovery. And that's really what critical, critical illness cover does. Yeah. Then if you're on your own, you haven't got another income to rely on to pay the mortgage or that sort of stuff. That, But that, you know, you've got to get into everyone's risk profile is different. And if you're a singleton, your risk profile is different to if you're a family. Of course. And if nobody's having that conversation, and this is probably why protection doesn't get discussed well enough because it's not being approached in the right way. Do you think it's because it's it's much easier? I mean, we're obviously in the agency game and sometimes empathy is not a, 
a question that's sort of thrown into the pot with estate agents. Um, it's very transactional. It's you know we need we yeah. need commission, therefore we we introduce buyer to a property to get through to get money. Yeah. Um, but sometimes in the mortgage game, you know, mortgage some mortgage arrangers or mortgage advisors are very much set up in right. Let's just churn out mortgages, and mm. maybe there's a little fee involved at the beginning. Maybe it's it's not a fee, um, but they just get their money, move on. I know a lot of them just just can't be bothered with getting yeah. involved in these sort of protection elements of things but i guess maybe that's where it's really important that that empathy word comes into things because you have to look at each individual and some people are just not the right person to do that it's it's a very intrusive conversation at times Mm. and and, and if if you get the conversation right about um, getting people to talk about their own risk appetite and how they would feel if certain things happened uh, it then gets worse because you've, you've got to have a health and lifestyle questionnaire that goes into very intrusive detail about family history and medical conditions and, and, and so on and so forth. So it can feel at times I feel like a, an old doctor, you know, sort of sat privately having these conversations, and getting people to tell me about their histories. But unfortunately, I mean, the insurance is sort of placed your point earlier, Mike. The insurance industry did have a bad rep for not paying out. Uh, and one of the big brands lost many years ago a court case because they were trying not to pay and they lost the court case because the judge rightly pointed out well you're saying the client didn't disclose that information to you but you didn't ask the question how possibly can you expect them a client to understand what information you need to make a risk decision if you don't ask it yeah. one, so, one side has to take the role of the expert so, and the other the layman, correct. right? Yeah, yeah so they lost the case they paid out all of a sudden the insurance industry went oh dear hmm. We need to get much smarter at this. So they and they have, and I mean, billions of pounds, and I mean it's billions of pounds get paid out every year in life insurance, critical illness, and income protection. Um, people are underprotected. Income is underprotected, and it's particularly acute for self-employed people. Mm-hmm. Employed people can kind of get away with it for a bit, depending mm-hmm. on the terms and conditions. But self-employed, you're entirely reliant on you. Yeah, and depending on your industry your risk of harm is probably greater. So it, it's genuinely an area. So I think consumer duties are positive, but it has some risk downside to it. And it's going to drive, you know, the, your point about mortgage factories yeah. don't want to do it or can't be bothered where they won't be able to act like that. And yeah. I think it's probably a lot of people probably end up leaving the industry because they think, well, yeah. it's, it's, too hard, it's too hard. I've got, I've got to learn too much. I guess we'll see more ca- collaborations of businesses. Yeah, Isn't I think that's that, likely, yeah. It's yeah. almost forcing people to come become a jack-of-all-trades, which I, I'm just anti-jack-of-all-trades. Mm. I really do think that, you know, if, if it's within one brand that they've got different specialists of different areas, but the jack-of-all-trades sort of mentality with all of the different products sometimes is, is not the way to go unless someone is really seasoned, really experienced, yeah. um, and they're able to stay up to date with everything, but often they need to have, you know, two or three business partners. You know, if you went to a law practice, for example, you're going to have specialists, you know, partners in different yeah. segments, and mm. it's probably moving yeah, you, you're never hi- You're never hiring a lawyer who does everything. No. no. To do anything for you are you no. realistically no, you know not. you're either a family specialist a conveyancing specialist a criminal specialist you're not going to hire a criminal lawyer to do your conveyancing for you because they're not going to have a clue no. where they're coming from and i think the same point has to be made for for mortgage brokers and financial experts is is, is look at what they know yeah and uh, you know collaboration is great but you know, there there are also enhanced data reporting requirements. So if you if you do a range of collaboration and you hand the client off, 
there's a weight of responsibility on you to make sure that conversation has happened. Yeah. If it did happen and they didn't buy it, what happened? That's the risk, isn't it? As well, and, and you know, you know if you're recommending someone else's services, it's difficult. But but collaboration within within a brand is probably the, the mm. safe bet as long as you got the special. So yeah. if if we're talking first time, you know, first time landlord buy to let, what's what outgoings should, and this would probably be more a conversation between the two of you, but what outgoings should they have fixed for that buy-to-let? We obviously know that you've got a management fee, which mm-hmm. is in there, but what else should that landlord, let's kind of work through that that math sheet. Obviously, when you do a um, when you do a mortgage, you do the, the sheet, don't you, of outgoings for, for residential, yeah. but let's look at it from a landlord's point of view. What should a landlord be paying for monthly or annually, depending on how they set it up? So... Landlord's insurance is a is a absolute minimum, and you've got to bolt stuff into that. So we recommend legal cover because why wouldn't you? We'd mm-hmm. recommend uh, accidental malicious damage by the tenant. Legal cover for should there be an issue with tenant not paying rent and you have to go to court. Correct. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 Um, Baking malicious damage or accidental damage to the to the building because you know. We all experience that that scenario where a tenant has, has gone rogue for some reason. Yeah, the um, most extreme case that I can remember of that, I'm sure you've got one, but we had one in, in Bracknell. Uh, tenant was moved in. It was all in the Bracknell News article, but they'd uh, taken this four-bed detached property and turned it into a, um, a weed-making factory, and they'd yeah. actually taken the holes out downstairs, massive holes down for the ventilation of this weed-making factory. Yeah. You know, imagine you're the landlord and that, and you're not covered, you're not insured, and you've got to effectively re- rebuild the, the house. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In, yeah. Cra- in crazy scenario. That, that is an extreme scenario, but that, but that's that's really what it's for. Yeah, um, it happens in every town, yeah. every week of the year. Yeah, unfortunately, that's that's the crux yeah. of and it. And you only have to get caught once. Yeah, yeah. And all of a sudden, you're you're thousands of pounds down. Yeah. Um, obviously, rental guarantee. Now you can bake that into your landlord's insurance. You know the letting agents often will will provide that separately. Um, property maintenance is often you know for for your for your amateur landlord. And I know quite a lot of these these people. And I don't use amateur pejoratively. It's you know they saw an opportunity years ago. And it's a bit of a side hustle to a full time. Absolutely, job. Yeah, 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 yeah. But they they haven't really structured their finances to pay the mortgage off by the time they retire Mm -hmm. Uh, and they don't generally have a lot of money if if the boiler goes pop or whatever so you've got to factor in an element of of ongoing maintenance um and if you assess all of that in line with the general financial resilience of the client that may require that that you look at things like income protection potentially if you've got somebody that just takes income from a buy to let but they can't work they might say, "Well, that's fine. You know, mm. I, can, I can still get by." But that, you know, if you're managing the property yourself as well, and you get a cancer diagnosis, and you're off your feet for nine months, I think Macmillan. Um, I don't think, in fact, I know Macmillan did a, a, a calculation. I think it was towards the tail end of 2019 that, on average, a person with a cancer diagnosis, their monthly costs will increase by 500 a month, which sounds like a lot. Wow. Yeah. yeah. But actually, if you scratch, scratch under the surface, it's like if you're if you're undergoing chemotherapy, for example, you know, if you're a lady, you might not be able to wash your hair, mm-hmm. you might not be able to drive anymore. You know, you might need to get taxis to mm. and from. Yeah, there's there's just a, there's a it's the sort of thing that the human the human psyche doesn't want to think about. Absolutely, no. yeah. But actually, if you're being really sensible, you will think about those things. Doesn't mean you've got to do something about it. You've got to think about it and make an informed decision. Yeah, not just play well i'm 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 going to play the fruit machine here and hope that i come up yeah 
all dollars. So a, a question for your opinion, really. Mm. With rent guarantee insurance, I know that our reseller, which is through our referencing company, will recommend the people who take rent guarantee are the people who are tightest on finance. Mm -hmm. So if your rent is £1,300 and your mortgage and bill comes to 1275 then really you should be guaranteeing that rent because the minute something drops, you need cover because it's it drops into a loss very, very quickly. Mortgage rates have risen, you know, double, tripled in some cases in the last six months or so. So is that correlation the same with the kind of life protections and the critical illness covers? Uh, when you say correlation, I'm not quite sure I understand the question. Well, in, in the same way that should the people who look to cover themselves be the people who have got the tightest finances, not the people who have got no mortgage and making a whacking profit? Yeah, potentially. Potentially, yeah. I mean, if you can self-insure, then, you know, why why pay for the privilege? But there's a flip side to that. And I, I do have this conversation with people that have got reasonable incomes and they've got reasonable savings levels to say you could self-insure, but how long would it take you to burn through what you've got? Yeah. Do you want to destroy potentially what what you've built up as a savings net? Or would you rather just bite the bullet because you've got expendable income and just insure it so that if you do need a bit of financial support, it's going to come from the insurer, not out of your pot. Your other, the point you, you, you sort of set the question up, Mike, around the arbitrage between the mortgage payment and the rental income, well, that's getting worse. Yes. I've done quite a few quotes in the last two or three months ever since the the trust quarteng hand grenade at the end of September, <laughs> sort of, you know, the, the market killer for at least six weeks. Um, the, 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 the stress tests and stuff have just gone crazy. And the, the, the profit for people with fairly low deposits, and I'm on about 30, 35, 40%, it's not a lot, not a lot of margin in it. Mm. So you've got to be in it for the long haul, but you are very sensitive to um, financial discomfort, if you like. Yeah, we've, we spoke about where the opportunities sit for property investing this year. And the opportunity, if we went back 18 months, was definitely to, to look at something where you could make a really healthy return monthly, you know, on yeah. a simple two bed. You, you could be making £900 a month around yeah. here, profit on that. Whereas now that's shifted to more, are you breaking chains? You know, yeah. are you going to be the person at the bottom of the chain that's making a deal below market value because you're enabling people in the residential chains to actually um, get the dream property that they want or realize the goal that they've got. You know, are you that person that comes in and does that because a first-time buyer is not able to? Or are you taking advantage of some of the refurbishment projects that are out there at the moment? Because there is a lot of people now that are saying, we had planned to do the extension, we had planned to do X, Y, and Z. And actually, the cost of doing something like that is just no longer viable because yeah. to make that extension and spend that money, we're almost putting ourselves in negative equity if you looked at the net figure of doing it all. So now it's just better to make the move. And, yeah. and that means sometimes there's an investor that can come in on that refurb project or that extending project for the long-term investing. So I, I do think this year is about the long-term game for, for investment in property. But also there's some opportunities, I think, at the bottom of chains to, mm. to really take advantage. So, yeah, I think that's that's the question for people at the moment is – 
not the question, but that's the advice I would give people at the moment is look at what type of investment you really are going to be after. And, and also from the conversations we've had here as well, just be aware if you're getting mortgage advice, financial advice, that it's really, really important to make sure you're getting the right advice. You know, that power team, that trusted team, always better to use a recommendation, but um, it, it's it's a great insight into how your game is changing because you've had a, quite an interesting couple of months in the finance world by the sounds of it. Yeah, I, I, I think it's it's really positive. You know, I prefer to think positively about every situation, but consumer duty is an opportunity for everyone to be better served as a, as, as a client bank. Everyone should be better served the people advising them should be doing a better job as a result. Yeah. Um, and those that can't, you know, can't cut it will end up leaving the industry. You know, mm -hmm. you, you guys are, uh, extol the virtues of the cream rises to the top. And I think that's going to apply, but people will find themselves being better looked after. And the, tr the old transactional relationships are over. You can no longer have a transactional relationship with a client. Mm. Once you've, once you've advised a client, on, let's say you arrange a five-year fixed mortgage and you've arranged some protection with them. You can't just leave it for four and a half years under consumer duty. You've got to, you've got to check in with that client. Yeah, yeah. Which they're, they're nobody's they're not going to be used to it. Why why are you contacting me every year? Yeah. Well, we kind of got to. But yeah. actually, that raises our costs. You know, we're we're going to have to start touching more people more often, and we've got to find our way of of automating some of that. Actually. Uh, it'd be no great surprise you've been messing about with chat gpt just to see, <laughs> yeah, see, yeah. see what it can do for us yeah. well, we'll uh, very easy to dip, disappear down that wormhole but, yes. um yeah it's it's a huge opportunity for everybody to up their game and for clients to have better outcomes and in that respect the, the fca is probably quite right it's time to refresh it yeah but it's going to feel it's going to look and feel different yeah with our business we always ask the question will it benefit the client and i guess when they've made the decision on this what they're thinking in in the daisy chang dream world is this will benefit the client because they're more protected so yeah. it's, it's really good that we've raised it on this podcast for people to just get an insight into what's going on and to be aware of it uh, and in part two so in next week's episode we're going to record that right now with don but we're really going to get stuck into uh, buy to let products we're going to talk about what's available um, how we think the market is going to unfold you know, me and Mike will talk about sales prices, rental prices as well, and really get stuck into what 2023 might look like for the property game for investors. So, Don, thank you for your insight on that episode. And please make sure you subscribe if you haven't already so that you can get the alert on next week's episode where we're going to get ourselves off the fence. No splinters on our backsides <laughs> for this episode. I'm flicking through YouTube and through Spotify. I don't think there's a podcast or a video channel on YouTube that landlords can land on where they're not being sold something. I mean, it'd be the first time any estate agents ever asked that question, but why not ask that question to a wider audience? They just have the knowledge there, but they don't seem to share it. You can do different episodes based around someone that wants an exit plan or someone that's just starting their portfolio. The rules change every year. Yeah. But why not just open the floor out and just say, well, is property even the best investment out there? And tax advice is a big thing, especially with everything that's changed, capital gains yeah. tax, and obviously your stamp duty costs that you need to pay and whatnot. People don't realise what they need to prepare for. We build a podcast and we build a YouTube channel, somewhere that landlords can go and they feel they're not being sold to, but they're just getting quality advice.